I'm Sammy, I'm the campus minister, and we have been working, thanks dude, working our way through the book of Ephesians this semester, and tonight, I'm just going to dive right in because the passage is a little long, we're looking at Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 21, so on your handout, if you want to follow along, Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 21, here's what Paul writes, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me pray for us, and then I want to dive into a pretty heavy passage. Tonight's going to be a little more application heavy than it normally is. Uh, Please know uh, that any sermon that you ever hear here is like with the subtext of if something is confusing or frustrating or maddening or saddening or any emotion you might feel, we would love, the staff team would love to grab coffee and talk about it. But let me pray for us first. And I just want to dive in and try to do our best with this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word, even when it's uh, challenging to us or even when it hits our ears in a way that... um, Maybe it's just confusing or displeasing or confusing or frustrating. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are God who calls us to come and reason with you, that you invite our doubts and questions, uh, you invite our pushback. Um, And Lord, I pray that you would meet us in that way tonight. We are completely dependent upon you uh, in your graciousness toward us um, and the work of your spirit in us. And we ask for that, that you would... Um, in our time together, be at work to encourage and to convict, uh, to save, um, to free. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite questions, we just did some loaded questions with ministry team last night, but one of my favorite questions to ask is, what is something you used to believe as a kid that you you now know is not true? Um, One of the most embarrassing to me, I was a big Santa Claus kid like until very late and the way i found out santa claus spoiler alert you should know if you're well I'm not going to say that homeschool joke um the way i found out was 
I wore, I still had my mom kind of dress me. This was fourth grade. I was probably like nine years old, maybe 10. And I wore a sweatshirt that said, I still believe to PE. And the guy that's now my best friend, his name's Jay, just saw me and just started laughing at me. I was like, what are you wearing? Do you not know? And that was all he said, but it was enough for me to go home to be like, mom, dad, what? And they were like, sorry, son, Santa Claus, it's us. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, But aside from maybe beliefs like that, here's something that I think, to get into our text, maybe one thing we used to believe, and I want to honor the kind of backgrounds, the father stories we have. I know if you've been around here long enough, I've got a hard one. Some of you do too. But when we were really little, the way that we looked at our dads, uh, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, when I was really little, my dad seemed pretty amazing. He seemed pretty invincible. And there was a part of me that wanted to be like him. Um, I think one of the most spellbinding books I've read in the last 20 years is Cormac McCarthy's The Road. And in The Road, he really captures us. In this post-apocalyptic land, he beautifully dials in on the love between a father and a son. And there's this moving scene where the son, this little boy, looks at his dad at one moment. And this post you know, they were trying to just survive and make their way. And he looks at his dad and he says, in this moment of kind of gentle rebuke, if you break little promises, you'll break big ones. And that trust and love between father and son, father and daughter, is part of the way that Paul frames the Christian life. He says, be imitators of God, your father, as beloved children. And that's the way he frames. So if you've been with us last week, we kind of looked at, he framed what walking in the way of Gentiles, walking in the way of the lost looks like. In this chapter, he looks, he, we're looking at what does it look like to walk as beloved children of God? What does it look like to walk, in other words, just as Christians? And I want to start there with the, that to be a Christian is to be a beloved child. And we have a father who's actually pretty amazing, invincible, perfect in every way, completely worthy of imitation. That's why N.T. Wright likes to say part of what it means to be made in God's image is we're meant as believers to image him in ways that are right and true and beautiful. And one way to think about sin is we don't image him often as believers in that way. A lot of times we act in ways that don't imitate what God is like. But what Paul does is he gives us three particular ways that we're called to be like God, to image him, to imitate him. Three ways we're called to follow him. Um, And it's just like three simple points. To walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. That's the way this text breaks down. That's how we're going to do it quickly together tonight. First, we're called as beloved children of God to walk in love. Verse 2. And the place we start is with God. It's important to say, God doesn't have love. He is love. And we're meant to follow him in his ways of love. As Christ has loved us, we walk in love. What does it mean to walk in love? Let's say it positively, then negatively. Positively, it means to love like God loves. It means to lay down our lives at great great cost to ourselves. Uh, love, Love is the willingness to live for the gain of others at great cost to myself and at great cost to yourself. But the problem is we're, for, we're far more inclined not to live in love, but to live in lust. And I want to talk about lust as bigger than sexual. And the way that Paul talks about it, uh, you know, when, he, when he's thinking about, when we think about lust as something more than sexual, you know, the way that I like to think about it is love, the posture of love is one of giving, the posture of lust is one of taking. And Paul really kind of lays it out for us in three different ways, major areas where we are tempted to walk in lust. One is to be sexually selfish. 
One is to be materially selfish and one is to be verbally selfish. Think, think with me for a second about what that means. First, being sexually selfish. It's Woody Allen that once said, it's going to get uncomfortable, he said, don't knock masturbation, it's sex with someone I love. And what he meant is the heart of all sexual immorality is selfishness, right? Uh, whether it's porn, whether it's fooling around with our boyfriend or girlfriend, we're living for the gain of pleasure at the cost of another. And fundamentally, it's unloving because fundamentally we make it about ourselves. And part of why God puts the premium and sex within marriage is not simply because he's mean or weird or has these rules, but because it flourishes best within this covenant relationship to be blessed and honored by God in this way that is fundamentally about the other, serving, giving. And then Paul says about being materially selfish. It's fascinating. Three of the Ten Commandments are against materialism. Uh, God knows our hearts are prone to greed and the lust for more and more and more and this plays out in our lives. There was one time uh, someone asked Rockefeller, Norman Rockefeller, uh, how much money would satisfy him. And he simply said, more. And this is what's fascinating to kind of watch. Like, <laughs> I'm a big Twitter guy. And to watch the Elon Musk takeover, we could talk about Elon Musk in a lot of ways. But it's painful because it's like to watch this sort of bill, you know, billion trillionaire and that idea of like they start to do things that they're not actually good at and it ruins stuff. And there's just this greed, can be greed and misplacedness behind it. But then he keeps dialing in. What does it look like to walk in love? What does it not look like? And he talks that last one as being verbally selfish. Um, there's a proverb that I quote to my kids a lot, a little bit self-servingly. Proverbs 26, it says this, like a madman shooting flaming arrows is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. And I love this image because it's the idea of complete selfishness with our words, carelessness and sarcasm. And what we often do with one another with our words is we tear down instead of build up in the name of feeling better, in the name of looking better. Um, I like the way that Augustine once said it. He said, there are only two basic loves. Listen to this. There are only two basic loves. The love of self unto the forgetfulness of God or the love of God unto the forgetfulness of self. I was thinking about it like this, a uh, big Marvel fan, and it's the scene in um, Infinity War. No, Endgame. No, in one of the two. <laughs> one of the two last ones. It's the scene where Thanos is going for the soul stone. And it's the scene where he takes Gamora, this adopted daughter, that in some ways you're confused. Does he love her? Does he not? It's confusing. But it becomes clear that he's willing to sacrifice his daughter to get the power of the soul stone to go ahead and wipe half of the population off. And every time I watch that scene, this is what I think about. The two loves. Lust says, I'm willing to sacrifice you for me. And Paul is saying, but to walk in love as Christ loved us is to say, I'm willing to sacrifice me for you that you might flourish, that you might know peace, that you might know that your needs might be met, that you might know God. So to walk in love, I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it. He says it like this is on your handout. He says, God is love. Love is the core of God's being. Man and woman made the image of God are also at the core love. This is who we were created, we were created to be, persons who love, persons who receive love. When we love, we are most ourselves, living at our very best, mature. Everyone, I venture to say, feels at some deep level this primary core identity, but here is the supreme irony. Listen to this. Love is who we are. Love is what we want. Love is what we want to practice. But it is in loving and being loved that we accumulate the most failures. 
we're repeatedly disappointed in love. And I don't mean romantically, friendship, family. We are repeatedly disappointed in love. We realize that we are hopelessly inadequate in love. We can become competent, listen to this, we can, we, we can become competent in school, get excellent grades, and put our diplomas on display to certify our intellectual achievements. We can become competent at our work, get promotions, receive raises in salary, and re- acquire reputation as an excellent physician, a trustworthy mechanic, a skilled attorney, a wise and diligent farmer. We can become a competent politician, win elections, work for the public good, enact legislation, inspire good citizenship. But competence and love eludes us. We're called as God's beloved children to walk in love. And then second, we're going to move quickly through these last two. We're called to walk as children of light. And again, we start with God, imitating God. He is love, but he is also light. The Bible says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This means that God is never deceived and never deceives. There's no darkness in him. There's no shadiness in him. There's no cap in him. My kids are teaching me. I've got four teenagers. This also means that God exposes those who walk in darkness and their dark deeds. He's the great judge of all. He sees the hearts of every person and will bring to light all the dark things that have ever been done in this life and the last day of judgment. So what does it mean for us to walk in light? Well, it means on the one hand, we try not to deceive. We try to be honest, forthright, true to our word, sober-minded. Um, and, and I think sometimes we can feel like, I don't know how you feel, but I think college for me felt like a weird time because in some ways it was framed to me as a sort of period of time where I was supposed to maximize my like pleasure and like max, it was supposed to be the four greatest years of my life. And it felt, and it wasn't, because three of those years were just fully eaten with depression. We could talk about this later. But I think sometimes we can, we can um, tend to think that what we do doesn't really matter. That our choices don't really have consequences. That our sin isn't really a big deal. But if we're being honest with ourselves, oftentimes we realize those choices have made us miserable. Like we realize the shame sometimes that some of those choices that we make us carry. And let's be honest about it. On the other hand, it means that we're called. There's just not a great way to say this. I don't, um, we're called. I'm just going to say to expose ourselves. You're tracking with me. Like we're called to be honest about what's going on with us. We're called to reveal ourselves. We're called to confess our sins and our struggles. And that's part of walking in the light. That we're trying to bring the things that we wrestle with in the darkness into the light of God's grace and love and forgiveness and truth. And we begin to do that with one another and with him. Is First John, right, where he says... If we pretend we have no sin, we don't know God, we don't love him. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're beginning to let people in. I don't mean anyone. Like, please hear me clearly. Part of what I want for you and for me is to have, we call it safe people, but people who so believe the gospel, people who so have been, they know the love of Jesus. And at the same time, please hear me, this is what we want our EF to be. They know their own sin. Like, they know that there is no one worse than them, even if they sin differently. 
Like even if all of your sin is inward and none of your sin is outward, you know you need Jesus just as much as anyone. And those are the kind of people that I mean are safe to begin sharing struggles with and sharing sins, confessing sins to. This is where I think uh, the latest Taylor, I'm not the hugest Taylor fan, but my family, especially my wife and my two oldest girls, it's just been a repeat in our house and sometimes the same songs just over and over. But the one that has caught me is Antihero. And where she says, if you are a Taylor fan, or if not, you've probably heard it, not by choice. But she says this, she says, I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. I've realized all this time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me at tea time. (laughs) We get to sing it. Everybody agrees. Uh, I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. And Paul is simply saying, it's time for us to walk in the light and to bring those prices and vices, those struggles, our sins, into the light. We take them to Jesus. (laughs) We take them to Jesus. We confess them to him. We believe when he invites the weary and the heavy laden that he means it. We believe that he will cast out no sinner. We believe that he came for sinners like you and me. We bring, we bring our sins to him and to one another, safe, gospel-believing friends. And I love this. He doesn't come. When we do that, he doesn't come to slap us on the wrist. But what he does instead is he takes us by the hand and he leads us into the warmth and the goodness of the light. And we begin walking with him as children of the light. And the last thing he calls us to do, we walk in love, we walk in the light. But lastly, We're called to walk in wisdom. Uh, It goes without saying, but it's good for us to remember that God is wise. Uh, Paul calls him the only wise God in Romans 16. He made the world in wisdom. He rules the world in wisdom. He has a plan for our lives. And yet that plan, as many of you know, is full of unexpected twists and turns and disappointments and heartaches. That we don't want to just cliche be like, oh, God's working all that for good. We bring those to him too. But perhaps that's the thing to remember, that being wise doesn't mean being efficient. Wisdom does not equal efficiency. Uh, When I was, if you've been around RAF, you've heard this story, but when I was right out of college, remember three years of depression, I made it. Like, I made it barely. Changed majors three times, we just got to the finish line, by God's grace. And I went home having zero idea what I wanted to do. In that time, you've probably heard me say this, but in that time, I, can, I worked in youth ministry for a second. That was not fun for lots of reasons. Um, but then there was a brief time where I considered being a hairdresser because my hairdresser made a lot of money in Sumter, South Carolina, and I was like, that sounds amazing, and that was fail. And then for a brief time, I worked landscaping. and was like, let me lead a crew. And thankfully, my boss was like, Sammy, I love you, but you should never leave a la- lead a landscaping crew. He knew me well. Anyways, but in that time, I had a mentor, and he always said it. At the time, it made me mad, but I get it now, is he basically said, um, listen, God made Moses wander in the desert for 40 years. I think he knows what he's doing with your life. And what he was trying to say was what we often think is a waste. God is doing something really important in the desert because he's wise, and he knows what we need more than we know what we need. And we can be angry. He welcomes that. We can be frustrated, disappointed. He welcomes that. It's not lost on him. 
But what does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, first, let's define what wisdom is. I love the way that Eugene Peterson defines it. He says, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. I love that. We think about God working skillfully in the lives of real men and women who have made real messes of things in actual life. That's called the Bible. Yet God skillfully brings great good out of even the messiest of conditions and choices. And Paul begins to nail down again three specific areas. And let's just enter into the awkwardness of them. First, he says, part of what walking in wisdom means is being wise with our time. And I love that he says to make the best use of our time. I love that because some of us are workaholics and we busy ourselves with study and work and tasks. But are we making the best use of our time if we don't have time for people, for talking, for listening, for relaxing, for enjoying all the good gifts of life that God himself enjoyed on the seventh day do we rest others of us struggle to get going that's more my side of things to work as unto the lord to work like the ant who proverbs holds up as this humble yet beautiful uh animal animal insect for having a glorious work ethic do we work as if our work really matters um being wise with our time but then being wise with alcohol let's just let's just do it uh clearly do not get drunk with wine. It feels clear that we're not called to be drunk. Why? We could talk about it. Because when we're drunk, we often do or say things that are incredibly hurtful to ourselves and to others. Mostly because when we're drunk, we lose all self-control. And some of us really struggle with this. Some of us struggle with this with shame. Some of us struggle with this with no shame. And we can talk about it. I think it's interesting that Paul contrasts it. You've probably heard this before. But he contrasts it with being filled with the Spirit. Uh, I think it's fascinating because alcohol is a depressant. It, make, it numbs us, which is the draw. It can make us feel pretty good things because it kind of makes us forget life and all of its hardness. I get it. Uh, but the spirit, on the other hand, is a stimulant, which is a weird thing to say. It's like, a, it's like the best line of cocaine you've ever had. <laughs> no, let's cut that from the sermon, uh, from the podcast. Uh, but he doesn't make you numb. He fills you with the promises of his love. Forgive me for that joke. (laughs) He fills us with his love, which means he fills us with the courage and confidence to go with him to face whatever we have to face. And I like this way. When we are full of the love and promises of God, we aren't hungry just to go get wasted so that we can forget about things for a while. Uh, I like the way this one guy, Daryl Johnson, says it. He says it like this. Look at the long lines outside our city's pubs, people, five points, wherever, people waiting hours to get inside to drink something to make life life. And Jesus knows why we stand in such lines. He knows what we are thirsty for. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And I like the way he says it. It's a little weird, but he says this. When was the last time you had a good drink? When was the last time you drank living water? Why not do it today? Take a big, long drink, and then drink again tomorrow morning, and every morning for the rest of your life. Wake up and say to the living Lord, I am thirsty. Let me drink again. It's like Christian Chumbawamba. Uh, all right. And then being wise with our relationships. Uh, he basically, again, we're getting to the end. Uh, he basically says two things, that we should be intentional with our relationships with fellow believers. In other words, we need friends who love Jesus, who point us to Jesus, who like pray with us in non-awkward ways, 
that we can talk to about things going on in our lives and hearts, the friends that can encourage us. Um, and this also means we need some accountability. Like we need Christians who are older than us. Uh, we need the church. We could talk about the church. It's messy. There are bad ones. There are good ones. If you need a list of good ones, come talk to me. Um, but we need both intentional fellowship with one another, and we also need accountability with older believers who can pray with us and listen to us and just love us. This is the question. Is there anyone in your life who can speak into your life and tell you when things are off or can tell you what they're seeing? So this is the question for us. Are we walking in love? Are we walking in light? Are we walking in wisdom? Y'all, I realize... This was a hard sermon for me to write because I realized that's not an easy question. Because I know that it's more like stumbling than it is like walking. But stumbling in the right direction. I love the way that I've quoted a lot of Eugene Peterson, but he calls it a long obedience in the same direction. And we know that we walk with one who walked perfectly for us. Jesus is the only one you've ever heard of who walked in love his whole life. Jesus is the only one you've ever heard of who walked in the light. He himself was the light. Jesus is the only one you've ever heard of who walked perfectly in wisdom. Go watch him in the Gospels. That's why Paul starts with, we walk in love as Christ loved us. We walk in light as Christ is the light of the world. We walk in wisdom as Christ is our wisdom. I'll close with this. Johnny Cash, 1958, he was, I think, serving somewhere, Korea probably, and he, he wrote his first hit, I Walk the Line. And he talks about writing that song. He wrote it in 30 minutes. And he talks about how he had, was newly married and he was facing all these temptations all over the place. And he wanted to write this song about faithfulness. He wanted to write this song about faithfully loving his new wife and their new kids. And so he wrote, I Walk the Line. But I love this story. If you ever listen to the song, you notice there's, he always hums before each verse. And he was interviewed about it, like, this is weird. It kind of works with the song, but why do you hum before each line? And he said, basically, I did that because there are so many key changes. I hummed to get the pitch. And the way that I was thinking about today is, what is our pitch that keeps us walking the line? And it is the gospel. It is that we walk in love as Christ has loved us. You are so loved by Jesus that he came in the flesh to be your savior, the savior that you needed. He came, we say it all the time like this, to live the life you, cannot, you and I can never live and to die the death you and I deserve to die. And he came to do it for us. And that's our pitch, as we follow him. As we're loved by him, we begin to walk in these ways. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are um, a perfect savior. We thank you that you are the one, the only one who loves us with a perfect love that casts out fear. Lord, a lot of us have fear if we're being honest. We're afraid of what a life um, given to you or a life of following you. Lord, can we, are you really that good? Do you really love us this much? Did you really die for the sense that brings shame to ourselves. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would meet us in our doubts and questions and struggles and the ways that you alone can do. And would you make this community, the community of our you off a place just as a witness to your love and your light and your wisdom, uh, that we would not preach ourselves, but that we would preach 
you, Lord Jesus, as the only one worthy of love and honor and of following. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song.